service is designed to get our minds prepared for the preaching of the Word of God Amen. that would follow. Yes, if you miss the purpose of the worship service or you were not involved uh, with your spirit and your mind in the worship service, most profound lesson lesson might be preached after the worship and you will miss it you will be educated but not illuminated and I'm going to repeat that again the worship service is designed to get our minds our minds prepared for the message that will follow the worship uh, if you stand there in a worship service and look around you're not going to receive the spiritual benefits of the message that's being preached you will come in carnal into the assembly you will stand stand up in the worship service and don't touch God or God doesn't touch you because you're not reaching out and the message that will be followed would become letter rather than the word of God. Amen. The letter kill it. So you can come in half dead into a most powerful service and leave dead. The Bible says that. And so we flash the songs up because it is necessary for a new song. And for those following us that we see the words but the secret of using the flash up is to memorize it and if you already know the song don't keep reading it close your eyes close the world out yes, in my quiet time when I spend time talking to the Lord I don't have a format some days I'll sit and I like the place dark I get up in the morning, go down by my gas fireplace, put it on, and sit there. But, um, and I sit there and I talk to God and sometimes I carry the burdens of the people in the congregation. Uh, your name is called, I pray for you. And to me, that's the best time for me to communicate uh, with God on your behalf. If you want me to call you to communicate with you and to pray with you, I don't do that kind of stuff. The moment I have to say a prayer for you to hear, I don't pray the depth and the communication I need to communicate with God. I might do that to make you feel happy, to make you like me, but that's not my style. My style is... To pray for you in secret that God would reward you openly 
And I believe God answers prayers. I really do. I don't believe prayers are meant to give you a goosebump or give you a little thrill. Prayer is to have effects. Here in, in um, I like to, I want to say that I appreciate the service last night. We're glad to have Brother Sam back, uh, full function. And they said that clogged arteries runs, it's in your genes. That's what somebody told me. Uh, they said, you got to be careful now. Clogged arteries runs in your genes. That's what they said. And so I told the person, that's why I don't wear jeans. I believe Jesus makes a difference. And we are all not spring chickens anymore. We are getting older. And as I'm talking to you, Sister Pam Goodwin is getting ready for a major surgery this month where they'll replace the, uh, one of the valves in her heart. Um, it's worn out. They're going to replace that. That was already replaced. And they'll take it out and replace it with another valve. And praise be to medical science in our day that can get these things done. Years ago, your valve gives up and you die. Um, today, technology is helping us to stay longer on the planet. And I appreciate that. Of course, when your time is up, your time is up where the technology is there or technology is not there. When your time is up, I believe your time is up. So we do the best to stay healthy. Do the best and leave to God the rest. And as we age, body parts will give up. Uh, some of us, we're not dying, going, going to die one day because we're healthy. The greatest men that ever lived on this earth, the most I would say the most recognized scientists, the most uh, learned uh, men where it comes to education and knowledge, whether it's Einstein or whoever, they're not here today, they're dead. Education, knowledge does not keep you alive. What about religion? Where is Abraham? Gone. Where is Moses? Gone. Let's come closer to men like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They're all gone. They died because God's people killed them. And so we come to the New Testament period of time. The men, the apostles, they were also martyred and they all die. And so when we understand how important life is and how real death is, we want to do our best to serve God. That we serve God while we are we have some breath and life. And so we want to pray for those people that are not uh, healthy in their bodies. We have Sister Polly, she's in Jamaica right now, and Sister Phillips and the family, some members of the family are there. And uh, Sister Polly deserved a little trip yes. after so many years. And if she could make it, we want to pray that God give her a good time and bring her back and everyone else. But someday, body parts will shut down and we will die. As the worship was going on today, I thought of it. As I draw closer to the end of my life, I'd like to have a good relationship with everyone around me. 
and people that I don't know I want to pray for. Now I might stand up here and be very strong and preach a strong message to this church. And I might condemn certain aspects of pagan practices in the society we live in. And you know why I preach it? It's because I'm convinced that's what I should preach. If one of my fellow ministers is convinced that he should not preach that, I can't help that. I can't open his eyes. He has to preach what God has given him to preach. And I must preach what God must, has given me to preach. And not because I am preaching something and condemn certain practices does it mean that I condemn him. So what do I do? I pray for all my fellow ministers. By praying for them, I love them. I love everyone. And I pray that God will increase my love for the men. Even if they don't see eye to eye with me. Life is too short to have enemies and to hate and to disrespect individuals. And so today, I'm glad that we are here. And I appreciate Brother Vid talking last night and reminding us that Brother John went through a trauma. Of course, I went through one 20, 2001, 21 years ago. I have the broken heel and I can stand on it. Sometimes I limp a little. Um, when you see Brother Joe limping, it's not because he's copying the pastor. He's got his own troubles. Uh, when you see somebody else is limping, they got their own problems. Age comes with a lot of complications. But I'm glad that God has helped me through that complication. I'm glad that Brother John went through his little complication. I thought Brother John would never be sick. I thought he'd never be sick. But age comes in and it's a disadvantage, no matter how strong we are. I thought people thought Brother Goodwin will never die, but he died. Brother Voorhees died, Brother Archer died. Death is real and something that we must embrace and understand. And so we are not to hate today, we're to love. Like if it's our last day to love individuals. And when God has given you a cross, whether it's Brother John, Brother Ved, or Brother Sam, or any one of us, see it as a cross designed to save us. Not designed for us to complain about our cross. The cross is given for a purpose. I don't know what method God used to eliminate Egypt out of Moses's my mentality or mindset but it was gone are you all here well I don't know the details I know he spent 40 years with sheep but God might have had methods that he used that when uh, he was ready to send Moses this trained Egyptian prince he said God I cannot speak Was it the sheep? Whatever God does, he never errs in judgment. And when God is taking you through a process, don't complain about your cross. Carry it. 
and ask for grace that you might understand his workings in your life. And if other people don't understand, that's fine. It's you and God. And when you're going through that cross, when, it, when a day or two passes by, you must understand that something is meant to happen. We had a beautiful lesson on Wednesday night where we talked about conversion. And I'm looking at a scripture here in, my, in Luke, the 22nd chapter. Here in Luke, the 28th chapter, and Brother Sam quoted this last night, refreshing our minds. Uh, Jesus said in verse 31, he said unto Simon Peter, Simon Peter was one of his disciples. When he called them into the ministry, they were not all spit and polished, uh, trained up for the ministry. You see, the strange thing about God, when you are big, if he's going to use you, he will bring you down and make you small. And if your ministry becomes big, then it must be what God does. When you are tall, spiritually and mentally and physically and whatever, God has a way of changing you before he can use you. There was a lesson I preached one time called the process. And it's a process, whether it's Moses taken into the wilderness and spending 40 years, or Paul sent into Tarsus and spending 14 years, or David sent into the backside of the desert in Cave Adullam for many years, God processes men before he can use them. And Peter was a fisherman, and he could not continue with a fisherman's mentality. God had to bring him up. So the man that's down at the bottom, God must bring him up. And the man that's so high and exalted, God must bring him down. That when we all sit in church together, we're of one mind and one spirit. That the high is brought low and the low is exalted. And so we can have a common mindset. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul, educated as he was, God had to deplete Paul of what he cherished and loved. Moses was ready to fight and defend God's people. He had to go and learn that it is God that defends his people. We are just instruments. I might be here today, gone tomorrow. But God continues to live on and his work continues on. And here was a regular, ordinary fisherman. And the Lord called him. And there are few men that God does not have to process too much. One of those men was John the Baptist. Uh, the Lord filled him as a babe. He was, while he was in his mom's womb, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Wonderful. When he was ready to be prepared by God, God sent him in the wilderness. You think God would send him to a Bible seminary in that period of time? Pharisee Bible College. Sadducee Bible College. No. God sent him into the backside of the desert. When he came out, he did not have the, the garments that the priest would wear. His dad was a priest. 
You think the boy would dress like his dad. He was dressed with camel's hair and he ate locusts and wild honey. He was like a wild man. But the Bible says there was a man sent from God. It's one thing your daddy send you out or your mama send you out and your grandparents send you out or the church organization send you out or a Bible school manufactures you and send you out. It's another thing when God sends you out. And God sent John. And the Lord is working on Peter here. And Jesus said to Peter, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He says, listen, Peter, are you standing before me? And the devil wants to take and sift you up. Now, Peter did not know that the sifting of the devil would draw him closer to God. What? The devil wants to sift me? Yes. And during the sifting process, what will the Lord be sifting out of Peter? What would the devil, without even realizing it, sift out of Peter? He would sift the tough, cosmout fisherman. He would sift all the traditions that his mama and papa taught him that were not good. Good traditions are to be kept. Ridiculous traditions that come from our ancestors must be eliminated. And so he said, Simon, Satan desired to have you that he might sift you. He says, but I, <coughs> Jesus says, I have prayed for thee. And the rest says, I have prayed for thee that Satan don't touch thee. Is that what Jesus said? You know, that's a funny thing because he's praying for Peter. And he says, I prayed for you. I'm not praying. Rebuke the devil. No, let me tell you something. The devil has a responsibility given to him by God. When Job was ready to be tried, the devil was given permission to try him, but not to take his life. When you're sinning, don't blame the devil. Blame yourself. All the devil can do is tempt you. When you sin, you sin because you choose to sin. When you cuss, it's because of your fallen, depraved nature that wants to exercise uh, your own little macho attitude and swear. That's your fault. You can either choose to follow God or you can choose to follow your carnal desires. But Jesus said, Satan desired to have you that he might sift you. But I'm not praying, Peter, that Satan be pushed aside. I'm not praying that he does not sift you. I am praying that while he's sifting you, your faith does not fail. Isn't this beautiful? He says, I'm not rebuking the devil. I'm not telling him to go. He says, I'm praying that I prayed for thee that I faith fail not. And when you are converted now for years, we preach that we all need a second conversion. You know the scripture doesn't say that? 
It says when you're converted. It says when you are converted means that he's going to church, he's following Jesus, he's seeing the miracles, he's seeing all of these things, but conversion has not started yet in his life. See, conversion starts and there's a process of conversion that must continue to work in your life. Uh, you can come to church and sit there, smart and nice, you're looking good, hair well-groomed, clothes nice and fancy, and you're unsaved. You're a Christian, unsaved Christian. And the majority of people that go to church are unsaved Christians. That is why serving God is a Sunday activity and nothing else during the week. That is why the church is empty on a Saturday night and on a Wednesday night because we are unsaved. You can quote the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you're still unsaved if God has not started a process. And when he has started the process, Satan will come along to sift the chaff out of your life also. He wants to sift your worldliness, the evil that lurks in your heart, what you like to do on the outside when no Christian is watching you. And that is why some people move away far from the church because they don't want to be seen in the mall the way they dress when they go to the mall, pastor bumps into them. So we got to live on an island somewhere where nobody sees us. Listen, if you got to be saved, you got to learn to hobnob with the rest of us. There's no way I can love my enemies if I don't have enemies. So if you want to learn to love your enemies, pray that God give you some. You cannot show mercy when there's nobody to show mercy to. You cannot live the commandments of God if you're isolated in a little remote part of the world all by yourself. We have to learn to mingle. And when the process starts to work in your life, that's where we're, we'll talk. Uh, Jesus, uh, we dealt with Matthew 15, beautiful area of the Word of God. But Matthew 15 is a scripture Jesus quoted from Isaiah chapter 29. And I like to turn to Isaiah 29. I'm looking at the clock because I want to talk to this church a little bit here later on. But I'm, I'm looking here at Isaiah chapter 29, a few verses. The Lord said here, Isaiah is saying, and listen to me. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> when we're looking at Isaiah here, Isaiah is writing. And, and when I'm telling you, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these prophets, when the most of what they're dealing with is rebellion among God's people. God's people in the Old Testament, the body of Moses was always in rebellion. They serve the Lord for one year and then they go back into rebellion. You read the book of Judges. When you think they came out of Egypt and they were out of bondage, <clears throat> you read the book of Judges and when they're out, they start to do contrary, start to worship all kinds of gods. God send them back into bondage. 
In those days, it was physical bondage. When you're taken into captivity, it's one country come in and physically remove you out of your land and take you into physical captivity. That's how Israel was. The, most, the body of Moses was physical situations that operated back there. And you would go into physical captivity. You'll fight a physical war. You'll have physical blessings, physical possessions. As we come over to the body of Christ... It is not physical captivity anymore. It is spiritual captivity. You can sit in a church and that entire church goes into a spiritual mental captivity because you're locked into the spirit of the age. How they're dressed out there, dress out there, you want to dress in here. How they tattoo themselves out there, you want to tattoo yourself secretly. How they... What entertains them out there? The child of God wants the same entertainment. What their mind feeds on out there? The child of God wants their mind to feed on because what is happening is we are in spiritual captivity. Sitting in the church, smiling, but in captivity. And Isaiah is writing here, he's talking to the people, he said, verse 9, stay yourself and wonder, cry out and cry. They're drunken, <clears throat> but not with wine. Israel was drunken, intoxicated with the spiritual wine of apostate religion's fornication. Are you drunken with a wine of fashion? Are you drunken with a social media? Are you drunken that you've got to sit there and you can't wake up in time in the morning, but you can spend all night on the computer? You know, the day is made for man to live and to awake. I learned that when I was growing up, I'm not nocturnal. A raccoon is. Are you a spiritual raccoon? You sleep in the day and wake up at night? See, if you're to make progress in life, you've got to give up. You've got to stop being intoxicated with what the world has because it puts you into captivity and you, then you wonder, why am I not getting through in life? It's because you choose to be miserable and to be held in bondage. Don't blame God. Don't blame the devil. Blame yourself. I sleep a little. But when I go to bed, I sleep. And the sun never catches me in bed. The sun never catches me in bed because I'm a Christian. I don't do night shift. I'm talking to this church today. I'm really taking my time. They are drunken, but not with wine. What are you drunken with? Children of God, are we drunk? Obsessed about things in this world? What are we drunk with? 
He says they're drunk but not with wine, they stagger but not with strong drink. He says the Lord has poured upon them a deep sleep. See, you can come to the place that you reject what the pastor is saying, you reject the word of God in your mind. He's talking that same thing again, but what he says is not important. I'm going to do the way I feel it should be done. After a while, God will give you up to a spiritual slumber. He did this to Israel. We're talking about the body of Moses here. He gave them over to slumber. And he has closed their eyes, and the prophets and rulers and the seers has he covered, blinded their minds. The teachers, God has blinded their minds. And the vision of all is become as the book, words of a book that is sealed. The vision, this book <clears throat> is there, but the vision has become like a book that is sealed. So you can read the Bible but it's sealed. If it's sealed, God does not open your eyes. It's sealed to you, my friend. It read and memorize and get educated, but it will never direct your life. David said, thy word have I hid in mine heart. Why? That I might be able to preach. No. That I might not sin against thee. The word is meant to be a lamp unto my feet as I walk this Christian path. Not to memorize. Not to utilize the show like I'm smart. It is meant to live. And it starts with a simple lifestyle, my friends. I'm, I'm talking to you. It starts with a simple lifestyle. Like I told you today, when you come to church, the worship is important. If you miss God in the worship, you're not even hearing what I'm saying today. You're hearing with your ears, but not your heart. Maybe God has given you over to spiritual blindness also. Change your life. And he goes on here, he says, its vision has become like a book that is sealed. It's given to the man that is learned and says, read this. You come out of college. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And he give it to the man that is unlearned and said, read this. And he says, I can't read it, it's unlearned. Verse 4, 13. And because of that, because the learned man and the unlearned man have the same problem, it says, for as much as this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. Everybody... Are you drawing nigh unto the Lord with your mouth? Can this congregation stand a little? Everybody, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Why I want you to stand up, you think? While I'm talking, some people are sleeping. Now <laughs> You don't know me for real. When you start to know me for real, I let you stand and I preach. Because don't sleep in this church. Thank you. You can be seated. It's a mockery when a pastor is talking and you're sleeping. You're letting the devil use you to let the devil make you fall asleep while 
the pastor is talking. It's a mockery to me. I never let the devil mock me in church. All right, let's go on here. It says, for this people draw nigh unto me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but I've removed their heart far from me for the fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. Men organize it. And see, that's what we can be doing as a church organization. We can tell you how to dress to look like a Christian, how to walk like a Christian, like you know on the front, how to sing like a Christian, how to worship like a Christian. But if the heart is not converted, you're not doing anything genuinely pleasing God. Your praise would go to the ceiling and come back to you. It will never reach God. And because of that, chapter 30, verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, said the Lord. You see, most of the prophets in the Old Testament was talking to a bunch of rebels. And when you come to the New Testament, same thing. God's people were always in rebellion. And no one in Galatia thought they were in rebellion. They thought Paul was the problem. See, today I'm talking to you and people are thinking about a sing is the problem. I'm not the problem. If I'm preaching a lesson and a message and you're not following that, but you're following the ways of the ungodly, don't you think every decision you make in life should be something God approves or that's not important? Every decision you make in life is important. And when things go contrary to your plan, schedule, and programs in life, ask yourself why. Maybe if he loves you, he'll chastise you. If he doesn't, you'll keep on doing what you're doing because he might give you up to blindness, spiritual blindness. And it says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, God said, but not from me. You wanna. Get some advice, but the internet gives you advice rather than the church. See, I'm talking to you today here, and I remember the years when we were growing up in this body of Christ. In the early days, every major decision that we want to make, whatever major decision we were making from the smallest decision I'm gonna leave to go across to Rochester I would call brother Goodwin and tell him sir I'm leaving to go to Rochester we communicated with the ministry this independent attitude that you have you got to suffer the consequences when you hold fire you get burned blame the devil he likes when you blame him because you're actually giving him, the cred, giving him the credit for the job well done when you blame him. When you don't blame him, you do like me. You got a headache, but you ignore it. The devil is going to tell his angels, give the man a headache, and he's not even complaining. I said, the devil is responsible. He said, we got the credit. <laughs> I praise the devil. He's giving us the praise. Don't blame the devil. Take on the responsibility. 
And God says they take counsel, but not of me. See, God is a jealous God. And when you're not converted, any wind can rock your boat and move your sail. Yes, sir. That's why the ministry is given. If the ministry is utilized correctly, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, till we all come into the unity of the faith, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be no more children tossed to and fro, that our decision is anybody can give us something to make us decide. But the son told us to pray for Pam. Pam is not in this church. But he sits here. Pam could say, Sam, stay home. Would that work? No. You see, and I'm the same. If Sister Chandra decides she's not going to serve the Lord, her decision does not affect my life. My priority is God. And if she wants to be worldly, that's her decision. And we would not get along. I told Nadine many, many years ago before she was even married. I say, if you backslide, kid, and you leave this church, I have a, I'll put a little plaque on the grave and put your name there, even though you're not dead. I told her that. What a man would tell his daughter that. I said, because I count you as dead. Because my responsibility is to preach the gospel and to serve God to the best of my ability. Not to be influenced by my neighbor. And how we were growing up in the early days was to serve God faithfully. And we build a family in the church. My pastor was everything to me. That's right. And when I have to make a major decision, I call him. One day I went into his office. I said, can we see you when we come up to the convention? He said, sure. So we walked into his office. Um... <clears throat> Indy, can you check and see where Chandra is? She has gone a long time. Oh, she's at the back. Okay. All right. Um, we walked into his office and said, we're having a little problem, Brother Goodwin, among ourselves, me and Chandra. He looked at Chandra. No, he looked at me first. He says, did you cheat on your wife? I said, no. He looked at Chandra. Did you cheat on your husband? She said, no. He said, you ain't got problems. Go out. That was my pastor. He said, you got no problems. Go, 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 go. I love the man. I love the man. Sometimes he was ridiculous, but I love the man. He was my pastor. He still is, influence is still in my life. I don't follow his humanity. Not because he's wearing a certain watch, I must wear the watch. Not because he's wearing a certain name brand. I'm, no, no, no. I follow his ways which be in Christ. 
and there are things that we lay down in the church and Paul and Isaiah says and you know this is not even the scriptures I wanted to preach on today he says woe to the rebellious children saith the Lord that take counsel but not of me who is giving you counsel you see when you're converted you let God give you counsel today is a good day don't complain about your cross don't complain about the path God is taking you through. I wrote a beautiful article sitting there on red, but it says, shopping for your cross. You don't shop. God, well, I need a, a diamond studded cross. No, you don't shop for your cross. He gives you the cross that designed to take your carnal mind and your flesh and your humanity and your exalted whatever out of the picture and put Christ in that we be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and fashion and whatever is going on in society we develop a stability in Christ and I'm sitting there today in the worship and I'm saying I'd like to develop a stability in Christ that if you come and sit next to me, Nadine, we talk about God and God is there reflecting my life to the people that are closest to me. Those that are not close to me, I, I want you to know that I can be there to pray for you. See, mechanically trying to do something and really doing something that God wants me to do is most important. I'm not here for a popularity contest. I'm here to preach the gospel and to carry a burden. And that is why the messages I receive when I preach to this church, I believe they come from God because my heart is there just to give God the glory. And Isaiah went on here, and I'm going to tell you, finish here, two, two verses and we're done. You know, like I wanted to get Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Another day. But it says there in verse 1 again, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, that cover with a covering. A covering, they have a covering, but it's not my spirit. Somebody says, well, you know the spirit is moving. He got to be kidding. <laughs> he got to be kidding. What makes you think the spirit is moving? Somebody get healed? No. But they're speaking in tongues. The other day I put my TV, my not TV, my internet on and I'm looking at a service. Uh, you know, a minister and his congregation and the minister said, Hika Messiah. And he calls that tongues. And then he said something else. He said, Hika Messiah Nakabika. And he says the same thing over and over again. In church. In church. Put his hand like this. Hika Messiah. Well. <laughs> you know I've been on this planet a long time. I went to Lincoln, Nebraska one time. And I went to this brother's church. And he had the most beautiful choir. White girls. You know beautiful choir. They could sing. And they, this day we went. They had prayer meeting. And I'm sitting there. And I think a little boy was next to me. <laughs> 
I said, you know, we do that in Guyana when we were small. We'd put the bicycle wheel and run it down the street and said, right? We didn't have toys. We were not like Canadian that can afford things. We take an empty bicycle tire and roll it down the street and we said, well, I thought somebody was playing a game in church. Guess what? That was their tongues. This one over there said, and the other one said, That was their tongues. That's what they call tongues. And I pray to God that the hypocrisy that's in the church will be eradicated. The Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost and they all spoke in tongues. In the languages and the vernacular of the people that was hearing them speak. And they said, aren't these men all Galileans? But we hear them speak our languages. That is the spirit moving. Don't say we got the spirit and there's nothing happening. Everybody go home with laryngitis and your aches get worse. We need God to help us. We need God to build the church. Except he build a house they labor in vain to build it. Except he keep the city the watchman wicked but in vain. And so I'm trying to finish the scripture. Hurry, right, let's go on. It says, uh, they're covered with a covering but not my spirit that they may add sin to sin. Where did they go? They walked down to Egypt. And have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. You know what that means? In today's world, the spirit of Egypt is what out there. What's out there? The world out here, it's spiritual Egypt. And if our lives are governed, if God's children's lives are governed by the spirit of Egypt, then we are not really God's children. We can't walk in darkness and have light at the same time. We can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devil at the same time. May God help us. May God help us. What is needed, children of God, is a conversion. Can I give you one last scripture? Okay. Uh, over here in... In Ephesians, in Ephesians, um, Paul writes to Ephesians, he says, You had a quicken who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's not what I want. I want Colossians, the third chapter. Uh, Colossians, the third chapter, and I'm going to start this chapter and leave the rest for you to read when you go home. It says here in Colossians chapter 1, If you then be risen with Christ. You see, when you have a conversion experience and you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost from a dead carnal state of mind, <clears throat> you're brought to spiritual existence. And if you have this spiritual existence and you start this new life, uh, you will set your affections on things above. Not Egypt. You will set your affection on things above. You can't wait for the next service. You can't wait for the next message. If you're waiting for the next movie to come out, you need to be saved. 
If you're more anxious about the next movie than you are anxious about the next service, you need conversion. And if you're not converted, when you die, I'm going to make a story up here now. When you die, the same place the Hindu is going, the Muslim is going, the atheist is going, it's the same place you will go. Because you're not converted. Many shall come to me in that day, Brother Sam said, and say, Lord, Lord. But we prophesy, we say, he come Messiah, and said a few words after that. Thus said the Lord. We prophesy in the name of Jesus. And the Lord says, I don't even know who you are. Who are you? But I cast out devils, Lord. But who are you? At least they were casting out devils and doing some miracles. One devil demon case we had decided to leave himself. He cast himself out before we cast him out. But you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying it is a responsibility of a child of God to set your affections and things above. Verse 5, to mortify therefore the members which are upon the earth. And it goes on, uh, verse 8, last verse, and then I'm done. It says, and now... You also put off, you're to put off these things, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communications out of your mouth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you to this day for another service. We thank you, Lord, for your word that will forever endure in our hearts, O oh God. Lord, I can only preach, but you can save us. It's not by might, human might, not human power, human genius, but Father, by your Spirit. Except you build a house, Father, the watchman wake, the, the laborer labor in vain, and except you keep the city, the watchman would wake but in vain. Build his house and keep the city, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And it's good talking to you.